Live from Perth, Australia, and broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show with your host, Oren McCory. The O Show is a no-nonsense podcast bringing you the best advice on training, mindset, and nutrition to supercharge your efforts in the gym, the kitchen, and most importantly, in your head. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, guys, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to today's episode of The O Show. I am your host, Oren McCurry, and today I have on a good friend of mine and the ex-Ulster rugby captain, Chris Henry. Chris, how are you today? Yes, I'm, I'm great. Thanks, Oren. Thanks for having me on the show. Awesome, man. And it's uh, it's lunchtime there for you and uh, evening time for me here. So we're at different stages, different parts of the world, but we're we're making this happen. We're going to have a bit of fun with it, mate. We're nothing too scripted, just going to go to town on things. So let's talk about who's Chris Henry. If people don't know and they're listening to this, maybe the Aussies over here who haven't been following rugby at the European side and don't know who Chris Henry is, let's give us a bit of a background to, to who you are, the level you played at, and a bit about yourself personally, Chris. Yeah, well, I mean, geez, that's a, a tough question to start, isn't it? Um, but yeah, look, I... Um, Belfast born and raised, so always um, grew up in, in North Ireland. I, um, like any typical youngster, always loved sport and all types of sport, but rugby was was the thing I probably clicked to the most. So um, started playing rugby when I was five, um, went through grammar school, a school over here called Walls High School, which probably um, forced me into rugby a bit more. And um, with my studies, I, you know, I was a, a decent student, but certainly it wasn't my passion studying. I yep. um, did, you know, decent enough in my levels and, and got a geography degree behind me from Queen's University. But um, rugby was always something that I loved. And um, yeah, when I left school, I played uh, for our schools, got involved with the Ulster Academy and um, play, lucky enough to have played professional rugby for over 14 years at Ulster. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you ask me who is Chris Henry, well, as I said, it's, I'm a, a Northern Irish lad who now is uh, now a dad of two young ch- children, um, a two-year-old and a seven-month-old. And um, gosh, I think like, yeah, it's, it's a hard question to answer because who are you? I, mean, I, I like to think a, a, a normal lad who um, was lucky enough to kick a ball around for 15 years and now trying to to find myself in my new life, my second, my second career, as people say, once you once you hang up the boots and play in pro sport. Awesome, man. Awesome. Now let's dig into that because obviously you played at a pretty high level the whole way through since school. So how did how does that go with starting to play at a young age and then moving up through the ranks? Like, can you remember any key moments where you were moving up through and you kind of thought to yourself, you know what, fuck, I can actually make this? Or when was the point where you realized that this was going to be it for you and you could actually make a, a career out of a sport that you loved? Yeah, I think I'm probably um, when I was about 18, 19, whenever I just came out of school and, and you're, you're you're in an academy, but there's obviously so many other young kids your age in there. And, you know, I'd, I'd uh, decide to stay, do, do a geography at Queen's because in my mind, I was thinking, right, well, you know, do a degree that gives you plenty of options. I was thinking probably going to teaching, um, which would have been something I think I, I would have enjoyed. Um, but I think around 19, where I realized actually, you know, a lot of my other peers were then starting to maybe get a few caps for Ulster and 
um, push on. And I thought, right, you know what, this could I could make it. So I actually started my, my degree part time, um, went to, went to part time basis because at that stage um, with Irish um, under twenty ones, I got selected for the World Cup was in Argentina that year, which was you know a 20, 20 year old. You're gonna get your flights, you know, a ton of kit, which was amazing. Then you get your bag kit every year. You go, wow! So you know, we got to go to Argentina for three weeks and play in a world under twenty one World Cup, and you're staying in you know top class hotels and looked after. And so I think that was the first time I went. You know what? This could be the fact that you could do something you love for a living. Um, yeah. You know, the realization was this wasn't too far away from me. And then in saying that, you know, it took me. I didn't have my first Ulster Cup till I was twenty four. Um, which is later than a lot of other lads uh, in academies, especially nowadays with rugby. You think, you know, as soon as you're kids nowadays, that rugby's moved on so much and sports moved on so much that younger players are probably phys- more physically developed earlier. And I um, definitely wasn't, uh, you know, I hadn't, I didn't lift a weight. I didn't touch a, ball, a, a weight till I was 18, you know, which is yeah. just doesn't happen now. You know, the school structures in Ireland anyway, and I know in Australia, um, you know, kids are taught about, their diet, their edu- you know, you're educated more about strength and conditioning. And that's what definitely held me back. But I got my first cap with Ulster was 24. And within 12 months, I got my first cap for Ireland. So it all happened very, very quickly. And um, yeah, I mean, don't know. I don't ever remember that one moment, I guess, where I went, you know, I always thought it would be a cool dream to do, but I never woke up and went, oh, today's a day. It just, it was, a, it was this thing that you stuck the process and eventually, luckily for me, it got there. But there was days where I definitely thought, is this really is is the is the sacrifice really worth it? Because you know, a lot of my friends when they were in university, they were staying in halls, they were enjoying their university life, and I wasn't doing that. Um, you know, as you know, or since we've known each other, I, I enjoy whatever whenever I played, I always enjoyed a few beers after a game. I always enjoyed socializing with family and friends. But I mean, those early years when I was 21, 22, I went nearly got to two years and didn't touch a beer didn't touch, you know, I'd, I'd given up chocolate, you know, I'd, I'd sacrifice, I knew that if I wanted to get there, I had to change the, what I was doing. And, and um, yeah, I laughed back going, I can't believe I was able to stay off a pint of Guinness for, for over two <laughs> years to, to get there, but it was worth it. So that's, that's the kind of my journey. And um, when I, when I thought, you know, yeah, I can maybe do this for, for a living for a while anyway. And as I said, I managed to do it for over 14 years. Awesome, man. Awesome. And you said it was 24 when you got your first cap. So how many caps did you get overall for, for Ulster? How many um, times would you have played and sort of how many years did you play with Ulster then from that first cap to retiring? Yeah, so I, um, from forget my first cap, I played just over 10 years for Ulster and I got 184 Ulster caps. And with Ireland, I managed to get 24 Irish caps. Um I never, sadly, for Ulster perspective, I mean, there was a few times where I thought about, you know, contract negotiations um, with players. They usually last, you know, either one, two or three years. And, um, you know, I'm very proud to say I played for one club, uh, only one club in my whole career. Um, but, there, you know, deep down, it would have been lovely to try maybe something different too. You know, obviously, Rob Carney is now a neighbour of yours. I believe yeah. you, you have the, you have the, um, your, five bedroom penthouse overlooking the beach and he's right beside you i think isn't that right he's you, you wake up and you morning rob morning so yeah rob rob, rob carney had a, a pretty you know um incredible career with ireland and leinster he's he's now made the move to the other side of the world to play in perth and, that, and like that is just what a story you know that and he uh, rob's probably maybe two years younger than me um yeah so you know he still has some rugby in him and yeah. um yeah it's it's a brilliant uh, to see 
the other world, even with COVID, that that was able to happen. Um, so yeah, I, I I was only a one club man with Ulster, and um, yeah, the, unfortunately, weather like I mean, it's uh, it's the sixth of April today, and it's snowing this morning over here. If you believe it or not, so I don't think <laughs> wow. it's snowing where you are at the moment. No, 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 it's still nice here. We had 20, 30 yeah. degrees, so we're winning. <laughs> oh, stop it, stop it. <laughs> so, mate, where where would have taken your fancy then over the years? Obviously, you were loyal with Ulster, but like. W- when you got to that stage where two, every two, three years it was negotiating the contracts, where would you have liked to went to or where was serious contenders as potential clubs or, or regions that you would have liked to go to to play? Yeah, there was um, two teams in England that, that the conversation had gone past the, the initial stage of actually gone over and, and seen their clubs and, and had discussions with their coaches. So it was firstly uh, Exeter Chase, and that was whenever yeah. Exeter, Exeter at the moment are one of the top teams in, in the English Premiership and, and won the Premiership. But their journey um, it was taking them a long time to get up in the top tier of rugby. So they were in the tier below, the second tier, and that's whenever I was con- uh, contemplating moving over. And it, and it didn't just the way it happened with Ulster. A lot of time, it's a lot of times when you're younger, you sometimes start this conversation to just poke the fire with your home club to say, right, any chance of getting the contract on dusted, to be honest. But no, it, it was a great club, and a few other of my friends had gone over, and, and they'd been there the whole journey. A guy called Gareth Steenson, who's part of the, the fabric now at Exeter, he's um, I think part of the coaching staff there now as well. Right. He made that journey. Um, London Irish was a team which I nearly went for, they yeah. were trying to maybe um and tie into the whole to get to get people who are living in london well, from irish backgrounds backgrounds to get them more connected to london irish and again that just didn't pan out and then the one the only other club that um i was very close to going to which surprises a lot of ulster fans um is leinster right so i thought you're gonna say the, that yeah and i mean it, it was um it was a strange old time like ulster were going through there was a few years i probably would have been probably the second or third year after getting my first Irish cap. And um, only because Ulster at that stage, I hadn't, the, the contract negotiations, whenever you're usually playing and you're a starter for your province, you usually get your contract started early in the season. So the season starts in September. You would always imagine, usually your top tier players would have been done by, you know, September, October, November at the latest. But at that stage, that year, because just the way Ulster was at the moment at that stage, um, you were talking January and I still had got my following year contract sorted. So, you know, I was going, this, you know, we need to yeah, see what other options are out there. And Leinster at that stage, you had an older Leinster crop of players. This was before Leinster had this, um, Leinster now have this unbelievable academy structure where they have like, 15 different young up and coming players in the back row, you know, they've which position I play now. They, they have like four or five guys here in the Irish squad, but that stage they didn't get a few older back rowers. So for me, it, it was a conversation of going, look, you could go to Leinster and you could actually start for the team, you could be involved with the team. Leinster were just starting that run of European Cup wins, yeah. and it was exciting to have that conversation. I remember driving home going, but this was supposed to be a trip just to go down, get a free steak dinner, and to talk about <laughs> you know, how do I, I use this to make Ulster get a contract at the table but I remember driving going well this could actually be a really wow. good fit you know and yeah. luckily you know after the you know the conversations had and um it didn't work out and I do look back and go well if I'd made the jump then could I have been involved in that Leinster squad when they were winning European Cup tournaments when they were winning the leagues um but I don't you know it wouldn't have meant as more as much to me because Ulster was my home, and yeah. even though we got the we got the playing finals, we got the European Cup final, we got the league fi- league finals, we got the semi finals, and unfortunately for those ten years, 
you know, whether it was to do with like all sorts of reasons why we didn't, weren't able to make that extra jump forward to actually get trophies and silverware. But I still deep down know that I made the right decision to stay here and, and, and give Ulster my all. Yeah, mate, that's awesome. And like, it, it shows like such a big thing where you could have been winning, you know, European championships and, you know, part of that winning squad. And you're still saying, you know, it worked out for the best in the end, because even though I didn't get part of that team, I'm happy with my decision to stick by Ulster and, you, you know, they've done right by you the whole time. That just shows you the, the loyalty and the, the respect that you've got for the club. So let's dig into the, the captain's role then. When you, um, where did you eventually graduate up to become Ulster captain and how many years were you a captain for? So the captaincy thing for me with Ulster is a, is a bit strange because I, I was never made official uh, club captain of the of, of, of Ulster over the years but the reason why I was thrown into it was um, Rory Best who is you know has always been my captain um, yeah. whether it was for I've been captained by Rory with Ulster I had Johan Miller you know um, South African second row who was, who was my captain who was just like unbelievable what he just the way he got um, the best out of his team and then when Johan moved, it was always Rory was captain. And, and Rory was always like the kind of unofficial captain, even when Johan was there, because he was homegrown. You know, he was a leader. He spoke. You know, he was away with Ireland quite a bit. So that's why it suited to have Johan as the main figurehead. But when Rory got injured and when Johan wasn't there, then I was usually given the captaincy armband. So it was quite nice because it wasn't, I was kind of thrown into it at a young age, but because I wasn't made the official captaincy yeah. it, it kind of took a bit of pressure off and it was the most important thing was just making sure i went out and one performed myself and you know made sure that the team were emotionally primed and ready to go and we you know make sure the boys had um, done their homework but it, it's strange like the captaincy at ulster and any team uh with professional sport at that level i mean there's just yes there's moments where you have to you know, poke the fire or speak to you know maybe guys have gotten bad news and you have to sort of you know have those small conversations to keep them motivated but captain say yes you have to make decisions on the pitch whether it's you know okay we're gonna go for the posts or we're gonna you know we're gonna maul or we're gonna tighten the game up or let's loosen up but it's not like it, it, the the days of old where you had to you're banging your heads off the wall and getting guys so emotionally primed like that 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 the game has changed now you look at what's happening in the rugby world uh, any any modern rugby at the moment, like the amount of red cards that are happening because of you know dangerous tackles and and rucks, and that's not because guys are yes, some you it's a physical game. You have to live emotionally. You have to bring that physical edge. But um, if you're overprimed and overhyped, then you're going to make more mistakes. And that's yeah. how I felt as a captaincy. It was about making sure that as long as you did your job right and did the right things throughout the week, not just the eighty minutes in the park, then usually you were in a good place. And I I did really enjoy it. Um, probably didn't enjoy like the media side as much and being thrown in, having to ask the tough questions, especially if you lost. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I, every time I got to run out and lead the Ulster team out in front of the Ulster fans at uh, Kingspan or used to be called Ravenhill. Um, yeah. It's amazing feeling like cool to, to look back on those memories. And it's only when you do things like this or you catch up with old mates, obviously we haven't been able to the last 12 months because of the pandemic, but whenever you get to have a beer and with what, yeah. some of your old teammates and talk about those moments, but cap the captaincy was always something I enjoyed. Um, even though it was, uh, they, whenever you had a figurehead of Rory or other guys or Paul O'Connell's or Brian Driscoll's, you knew that you were in a good place whenever they were leading you out as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you're talking about people, Chris, that, you know, you're obviously looking up with massive adoration and you're talking about Rory and Johan in those sort of roles. But 
you're probably not realizing that people who were under you being let out on, under those captaincy days, they're probably saying the same things about you. You've probably got the same skills and the same impact on them younger players and them other players who are playing at the same time as what Johan and Rory has had on you. So what do you think was it about Chris Henry that made him the automatic captaincy if the other guys were away or injured then? I think most of the coaches I dealt with knew that um, I was never the I was never the fastest or the most powerful or the strongest, but I I was I, I knew that I had to use my smarts, my brains on the pitch to get to where I need to be. Maybe yeah. you know, anticipate what the ball was and having the 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 game management of a even though I was a, a flanker, I kind of knew how what it took to win a game. As you know, knowing what your strengths were in your team, and I think most of the coaches realised that and. I think a, a coach, you always want to pick a captain or your leadership group of guys that you know that will go to those places. And I remember, um, you know, seeing some of the stuff that even like, so Paul Connell, someone I always talk about where, I mean, whether it was training or a match, like he would go to the well, like he, no matter what you knew that he was going to put his body on the line over and yeah. over and over again. And that's something I felt that I always tried to do. So whether it was minute one or minute 78 or 79 that I was still going to keep turning up and putting your body where you had to be and putting your nose where you had to be and you know it don't matter how many times you you know stitches or broken noses yeah. that's part of, that's part of the game and you and you know, durability you gotta with rugby you gotta be durable and I think coaches knew that you know if they um most of the times whenever I got picked that I wouldn't leave anything out there it was you know I would have put my body in places that I wouldn't have asked anyone else to do something I wasn't willing to do. And I think that's probably the most important thing. And I think that's why maybe coaches were were happy to put me in their team because they knew I was going to be a menace to opposition and, and sort of bring people with me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's massive. And like that's something that I think whether people relate to the rugby background or anything else, like that mental toughness of what it takes to put your body on the line for that that sort of better good of of the team and you know the teammates around you to uplift them and then to to follow you because they know you're setting that example that takes that that doesn't just happen to anyone right that takes a certain mindset takes a certain character and it takes a lot of being in the trenches and just leading by example with that so how do you think you built that up over the years like you said you probably didn't touch a weight till you were about 18 um, and then you quickly ascended to, you know, the top of Ulster rugby. Like, what what built that mental toughness along the way? Do you think? I think with rugby and other sports, a lot of it is like the eighty minutes is the eighty minutes is decided obviously long before you, the, the the start of the game kicks off. It's about that daily grind. It's about the pre seasons that you accumulate. Like every you know, once you get into the season, it's hard to improve your you know. Um, Start to improve your squat scores or your body fat scores or your speed scores when you're needed to play week to week to week. You know, it's impossible. You you only thing that matters is um, yes, you, it's maintaining during a season, but it's those pre-season moments. And I think if I look back to whenever um mental toughness where I felt that a, a switch had been um, clicked, was probably some of the pre-seasons that I had whenever like Joe Smith was the was the coach of Ireland. So whenever I was down with there and doing big pre-seasons, because you know, I you probably I probably thought I was working hard and doing what I needed to do, but actually I, I was clueless. You know, when you when you're when you see other peers from other provinces push themselves to those limits and where you needed to be to, and the sacrifices they take in regard to you know recovery. You know, recovery was something that I, you know, um, didn't really have a clue about until my last sort of four or five years 
of rugby really um, and yeah. probably because my age when I got that stage I went right you know I'm getting sore here I've got to look after myself better um, but the mental toughness like going up and down sand dunes and dragging teammates and you know those 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 moments of, of um, when when you're taken outside your safety net of being just the rugby pitch and you know I look back as I mentioned sand dunes like we always every every year there's always one or two miserable you know fitness elements and it wasn't about the fitness it was about yeah. can you keep going will, will you stop and then the guys that you knew that were stopping and needed to be dragged along with you you know you you the guys that even if you're walking or jogging you knew that right if they're if they're at that point now and they're still moving then whenever it comes to a big game that you know they're going to keep moving yeah. And I think that's so important. A game like rugby where you have to trust your teammates, um, that's massive. And I, I, I do think of those like really tough, hard pre-seasons and the accumulation and to know that, to look back at games and to look back at, that was something maybe I did, you know, the psychology side of the mindfulness side, like going into games and looking back at things you've done gives you the confidence to go, no, I've done this already. I can do yeah. this again. Um, yeah. And it's the same with that whole, just the accumulation of workload. There's not... Uh, experience in sport to know that you could made those decisions at the right times and learn from them like you can't teach that that just is live live life experience and that yeah. um yeah it was good my, my top years of playing was definitely when i knew physically i was still able to do it uh but i had the mental capacity and the mental um you know, intellectual property that you know I, I knew that going to the games if i was able, if i felt good and ready to perform that you know i was gonna have a good day out there yeah, yeah. And then see when you're talking about stuff like the sand dunes and those grueling pre-seasons or all that that stuff that built that character. And I don't want you to name names with this, but is is there anyone who like would have stood out? Like you think of this Ulster squad as everyone's gonna be a machine, they're all gonna fucking get through it. But was there ever people who were just not cut out mentally for that? Like you're talking about building it and pushing and letting your teammates know that you're there and that's what keeps you driving through. But was anyone clear that they were kind of like not cut out for it from that? Really difficult question. I Like there are, if I look back at some of the players that have come and gone um, from Ulster, uh, the, the mental toughness side, like you need, as a youngster, you need to, especially with rugby, a physical sport, like there's times where you have to play with injuries. Like that is yeah. just the nature of the game. There's never going to, there's very rarely you're going to go in the game feeling like, oh, I'm a hunt, you know, I haven't got a bump here. Or, or, yeah. you know, dead, my dead leg's still sore from last week. And there, there was guys that, you know, um, luck, luck in professional sport, I think is, is something that, yes, you make your own luck, but you, you do need, you know, the, the bounce the ball, the being uh, injury free at the right time to make sure a coach that is, is influential watches you at the right moment and doing the right things like there, there's no doubt about it like i look back and go there was moments where i needed luck luck happened you know and, and yes you make your own luck you keep getting there and the best players will eventually get there but how quickly you get there i think takes that that's where that, that level of luck comes in and um there were certainly guys that i think i've played with where you go it's impossible to tell but were you did you have an injury or did you have a bump? You know, did yeah, you have a knock? Yeah. And that's where can you have the do you have the mental toughness to put that pain aside to go to a place to get you through that game or to get you through that training session, which gives you the chance then to play that weekend. Um, but durability in players is is huge. Um, and yes, the strength and conditioning side can can help, but there's you, you know like there's guys that just unfortunately um, with injuries, they your know, bodies aren't guys are retiring early now. Earlier now, um, it's a massive part of a physical game like rugby, where you, if, you, if your body isn't durable, then you're not going to have a, 
you know, a, a lengthy career. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine that there would have been players who maybe talent-wise would have been way up there in terms of their potential to come in and you just see like, oh, this guy's going to be a future star. And then sometimes maybe they just don't make it because like you said, they don't have that durability and that potential to maybe they do, you know, they've got a little bump that you would normally play through and they're, you know, they're taking it easy because they're classing it as an injury, right? So they don't get as much game time. They're not known for that resilience and that durability. So they, even though they've got all the talent in the world, maybe they just don't get picked by the coach because they're not as reliable as somebody like, Chris Henry, who shows up and fucking plays through all his little bumps and only goes off the field when he's fucking there's blood, you know? Do you know, you could even, you could even categorize it in two types of players. So this is the forwards who work really hard and are really tough. <laughs> and then it's the backs who don't know, about, you know, oh, I'm not doing this. I'm not running today. Or, you know. yeah. <laughs> but you do, you, you, I mean, listen, it's, rugby hasn't changed that much. You do find that maybe your wingers and your fullbacks are just a wee bit easier or quicker to, to, to um, pull out of things. But I know, like, you look at all the top level rugby nowadays and, like, even... Um, like all the top, top, like you, so the British Lions are it's hopefully going to happen here in a few months. So I forget. Yeah. And you think of like what, like the, 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 um, I mean, there's some seriously good players left behind who, who should be going in that tour, aren't you? Think of all the, like, the wingers that make big, big moments and big plays, like Keith Earls, for example, um, Andrew Trimble when he, before he retired, um, you know, these guys that made things from nothing, like kicking chases, kicking balls. You know, it's all a mindset. How when you see a ball going there, their ability to, to hunt the ball down, like that yeah. is that is more mental than than, than the physical side. And yeah, there's yeah, a crack yeah. and we there's a crack and we throw back down for all sort of one Mike Lowry. You know, if you Google yeah. him and see some of his tries, he is he is not big, he must be one of the smallest professional players out there moment. He is so brave and his mental toughness to 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 take these high balls and to make big moments and big plays. Um Liam Williams from from Wales, like the his ability to hunt back and make yeah. you, you think it, you, you might think a team to score a try, but he doesn't. That you that from until the whistle blows, these way these players nowadays with the mental toughness and what brings they hunt things down. And it could be that one moment where they are able to just you know get their hand in and cause a knock on or, or yeah. save a play. And that's the difference between like the top top level players to have the mental toughness to keep going no matter what. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Then, so we spent about maybe twenty minutes, twenty five minutes so far talking about life in rugby. So let's talk about where you're at now, life after. So, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, me and Chris know each other through our wives. So uh, my wife Esther went to uni at the same time in Glasgow as Chris's wife did, and they were roommates, and they're still good friends now. So that's how we know each other. And I've sort of been there and watched as you've got married, you've retired. You've had the two kids and, you know, it's a completely different change of pace to the life as the, you know, the rugby captain and, and the, everything there. So let's talk about firstly, how you, how are you coping with it? How's it been transitioning from rugby that you've known for, you know, 15 years of your life to now being a, a civvy like the rest of us and uh, working a normal job and, and growing the family then? Yeah. I mean, look, I, um, like there's definitely moments where you know you watch these games and you go, especially the moment when there's obviously uh, a pandemic gone and the games at the moment when you get to watch brilliant to watch. And I look at my wife and I go, I can I can think I could still go back out there and give it some. <laughs> and then you catch yourself on and you go, no chance. Um, I I, I listen, I've really enjoyed my career with rugby, but with my last twelve months, um, you know, whenever you're waking up in the mornings and you're just constantly sore. 
and you haven't even trained yet. And then you've got these young pups who are just, you know, so talented and, you know, deserve, you know kicking on your heels. And, and for me, um, I, I knew the time was right to go. You know, um, my, shoulder, my, body, my body was falling apart and mentally, you know, I, I, I knew what it was going to take for me to get back to the top level. And, and I just knew that the push wasn't going to be worth it. The push then at that stage. So um, I do miss rugby without a doubt. I miss the structure of you know knowing that you're in a, you know Monday Tuesday you, you go in your breakfast is sitting there you know you do your gym your lunches um, but you know it it was never going to last forever and I do feel like I I look back in my rugby career and I'm so content and happy that I think I got everything out of it that I could have and um, you know I got to win a trophy with Ireland in the Six Nations. Yes, I would have loved to have won something with Ulster, but you know it wasn't meant to be, and we still had some brilliant, brilliant top-level moments. And the fans, you know, it was terrific to be able to share that journey with you know such a small place as Northern Ireland. Um, but no, I, as I said, I think it was the right thing to do to, to retire when I did. Um, I actually stopped halfway through the seasons, which is quite different. A lot of players will obviously finish their their contract cycle, but I walked away for Christmas in 2018. Um, so, or sorry, 2017. Um, and yeah, it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. And since then I'd um, spent 12 years or uh, 12 months after retired um, raising money for a charity here in Northern Chester and Stroke as part of my testimonial, which was incredible, you know, busy 12 months. As you said, then I've had uh, two, two children in the way there and then I've started a new career. So I'm working for a company called Applied Medical. Um, it's a global medical device company. Um, specializing in surgical equipments, um, mostly laparoscopic stuff. So it, before a pandemic, I would be in surgery most days, dealing with consultants. Um, it's a really cool, you know, opportunity for myself. And it wasn't something that I knew when I was coming up to retirement. You know, players, you always try to have a plan in place. Truthfully, I, you know, I knew I had a drug degree. Was I thinking about maybe doing a PGC to teaching or um, you know, look at business opportunities, but this this opportunity came away and I applied for it and and yeah to be honest it's been despite being in a pandemic where there's been a lot more working at home and I had to do you know I was I've been on furlough for probably half the year or twelve months which has been challenging in itself um, but this has been a really you know I feel so fortunate that I've got a job like this it's a great company um, you know its mission is to improve patient outcomes you so you do feel like you're making a difference um, couldn't be more different than playing at a rugby pitch. Um, but you still get an excitement, right? When I get in and get to put on scrubs and get to talk to these consultants who are, you know, obviously the top of their field, world class, you do get a, you get excited about it and you get to feel like yeah. you're, doing, you're getting up and doing something. So I, um, yeah, the, totally different new world in the moment, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying the journey so far. And I don't think I'll ever, I will always miss rugby and I'll always probably think that I can still get out there and get the boots on, give it some. But yeah, at the yeah. moment, I feel very content in where I am at the moment. Yeah, perfect, man. Perfect. And funny, I remember one time we came over, I think it was for a night out with you guys, we flew from Glasgow over to Belfast. And I remember you dropped us to the airport and, you know, we're making small talk at this. And I don't think you were thinking about retiring at that stage, but I was like, what are you going to do after, you know, whenever this all comes to an end? And you said about the, you know, geography teaching and maybe going to a bit of coaching with, you know, academies or other teams. So that's quite a big change from that, which, that was a good year maybe before you even thought about retiring to go from that to then be, all right, I'll apply for this medical job. I might not get it. And then suddenly you're thrown into this world. Like 
how does that feel mentally whenever you're maybe mentally preparing for the geography route and um, teaching or coaching and then being like you know what i'm going to try my hand at something else this sounds quite exciting how does that like how did that feel like you know getting that job and then you know that whole career path just suddenly going oh hang on i'm going this different direction now it was, it was daunting uh, definitely daunting um i had to go to um the Netherlands for five weeks for an intense training course uh, on, you know, a crash course of surgery, basically to, to try, um, you know, learn about products. And, and, and the, the, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm not even going to pretend like I am anywhere close to being a doctor or a surgeon, but I need to know <laughs> r- roughly what you're doing in a, in a, in a theater and, and um, you know, how theater staff work and dealing with people. And I think that's the thing that, um, I've enjoyed the most about this job is, is actually I get to go out, I get to plan. First, I get to plan my weeks, which is great with the family. You, you yeah. know, there is that flexibility of no of knowing and trying to shift your work week, but you get to go and you get to meet people in hospitals. You get to meet, um, you know, nurses. You get to meet sisters. You get to meet, you know, purchasing staff. You get to meet a lot, a lot of people, and it's a bit like rugby. You there, you need to try. It's about making connections with people and relationships with people. And you have to actually do it very, very quickly because these people are obviously under a lot of time constraints, pressure. Um, yeah. And you, I'm coming in to try add value to what they're, to the service they're giving to their patients. So you need to get, yes, you need to get your point across, but you need these people need to trust you and need to know that you're there for the right reasons. And that's what I think I've enjoyed the most of the connections that I've made despite um, a world of lockdown. Um, I, I've met some wonderful, lovely people in the hospitals that are doing an incredible job of, of, of keeping the system going at the moment when they're huge stress. Um, but it was daunting, as you said. I always thought, okay, rugby um, coaching might just fall on my lap. But there's yeah. a lot, a lot of people who want to be coaches, and it's not a to be a professional coach nowadays in rugby and lots of other sports. You, you have a lifespan. You can't stay in one. You very, very few coaches stay in one place now, and it means that you'd be willing to sacrifice and move to different places of the world. And to be honest, I don't want to do that at the moment. My yeah. family are here two young kids are here you know they're only going to start primary schools and, and, and further on and, and yes i'll always be involved in rugby I, you know i i was coaching a local club around the corner i will um, still do you know whenever my little boy's up but he's at the age of mini rugby the thought of coaching you know the kids and stuff like i kind of wait to do all that but at the moment um to be able to throw myself into something completely separate from rugby i think has been really really good for me um and a real good way of letting that go and putting it behind. And I, I do enjoy talking about my career, um, but I do, I, I'm excited to see, you know, where this can, can push me and whether, you know, how far I can go in this industry as well. So, um, awesome. yeah, it's strange, strange how the world works, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sitting, <laughs> it's where we are. Have you ever had to um, use your name to, to get into a meeting, you know, throw in the old Ulster connections or anything, or put at the end of an email saying former Ulster? <laughs> No, I haven't. I haven't gone that far yet. Desperation. You never know. Maybe I will soon. But no, you know, the the like most places, like it is a small world, and, and when yeah. you get in the hospitals and you chat to people, um, you know, there are going to be you know some consultants and doctors and, and staff that that have watched, have enjoy rugby, and then they go, "What's this?" They they maybe they, they before when I didn't have to wear a mask all the time, they would have went. They looked at my nose and went, oh, yeah, is that your man, Chris? Henry used to play because of his broken nose. But now it's a bit harder because you wear a mask all the time, obviously. But, look, it's a great – people want to talk. People enjoy rugby. And, and, yeah. and that is Northern Ireland especially. So to have, you know, short, small conversations about, you know, if Ulster were playing or Ireland were playing, 
course it helps. Uh, like any yeah. sport, like golf or um, football, you know, people don't, it's nice to relate in a, in a different way and, and sport does. That sports bring people together, you know, especially Northern Ireland at the moment, which was going on, you're watching the news, you know, it's it's um, shocking to see what's going on here with, you know, there's been riots now in the last couple of nights and um, which is just so, you just would, crazy to think of, at the moment this can still yeah. be happening um but sport is just a wonderful thing of getting young people from all cultures backgrounds together and it's the same when you're in a workplace you're able to talk about uh, kicking the ball about um it opens doors yeah 100 and so how's how's it been for the past year with covid then speaking about what you've just transitioned into because last i seen you in person we we were over for Christmas night 2019, right before the pandemic started, obviously in 2020. And we caught up, we were talking about your job and talking about the future plans. But then pretty much three months later, we're in a lockdown. You guys have obviously been in it for pretty much a year straight with little a few little breaks. Whereas we're the opposite over here. So it kind of feels like like life's just <laughs> life just went on for us, but you guys are in a completely different position. So how's that been with um work, with family, with you know obviously being quite a, a social person in terms of, you know, you would always have had your um, teammates around you, you would have had, you know, friends, family, you would have been quite social, you would have met people for brunch at General Merchants and different things like that. How has it been transitioning from such a social background and, you know, the rugby around to now like being in lockdown for pretty much that 12 months then? Yeah, or like it's, um, there has, without a doubt, like everyone here, I think it's it's been a really, really challenging year. Um, we are so lucky compared to so many people. But as you know, when you're when you're in it and in, in those moments yourself, and you, you do you have those dark days where you go, when is this ever going to? When are we going to get back to some normality? And as you said, I, I I've always been a you very social. I, I enjoy being around people and. Um, yeah, that, that's that's been really really difficult. I'm my wife. My wife's a social butterfly, as you know, um, Jane yeah. and Esther. You know, and, and not being able to just have those regular interactions. And, and the funny thing is, you go, you know, you catch up, you you phone call, you do your Zoom with some of your friends. You go, oh, what are you even up to? Uh, absolutely nothing. What have you been up to? <laughs> absolutely, not. it's Groundhog Day, and it's just yeah. trying to find, um, you know, the small moments like we when the weather is. is the weather here makes a big, big difference. And um, whenever you're mm -hmm. able to get outside, get some fresh air, and um, whether you can see somebody out in the back garden, you know, our grandparents. Even we have a, our little boy now, seven months, seven months old, and um, you know, my mom would try get down once or twice a week, usually outside the garden. And you're going like, this is crazy that you know, yeah. seven months passed, and, and and your grandparents. And look, you're at the other side of the world, obviously, and you're missing your family. You're back home, and you know, you you speak into them regularly. But without a doubt, it's been challenging for people here, and you have to just disconnect. I mean, when lockdown initially happened, you know, um, I remember I was just getting caught up watching the news constantly, yeah. you know, and it's just being bombarded. And you're going right, hold on, I've got to take a step away from this. Um, then we got in the routine of going walking ten minutes away to a wee bakery and getting a sardo every day for months, <laughs> and um, you know, at that stage I was a furlough, so I wasn't wearing my suits or anything, and then. I put on, you know, I, I think I wasn't wearing, I didn't have to wear jeans for months. We had a beautiful weather last year. It started all this, which made a big difference. And then I remember trying to put on a, a work shirt and it didn't fit. And I went, right, <laughs> what is going So, So to be fair, I think um, everyone has is, is, is adapted to, to this whole way of living a bit better now. And 
even if we get something this summer, you know, we just have to take the small wins and, and know that eventually we will get back to normality. Um, <clears throat> you know, the age, age I am now, you know, I, you know, I can't wait to go back, go, uh, you know, to be at a wedding again or to go to stag, someone stagging. But ultimately, you know, we're, we're in a very lucky place in our age. You know, I, I'm married. I got to have a wedding. You look at how many people have to cancel their weddings. Yeah. I've got two healthy, beautiful kids. I'm still in the job, you know. So I could sit here and complain about, oh, I wish I could see my mates or go down to watch a, a match in a pub. But, you know, the big picture here is that I, I know we're all so, so lucky and that yeah. we will get out the other side. But in, without doubt, it's the there has been moments of this uh, past 12 months where you, like everyone, it just gets on top of you and you've just got to try to find your way back and stay positive. And whether that is, as I said, getting fresh air, you know, zoning out, um, I'm training for a half marathon at the moment, which is right. absolutely I, I can't, which stupidly, I don't know why I signed up for it. Um, <laughs> but it's in, it's in four weeks, so I'm actually doing quite a bit of long runs around right, 19 yeah, kilometers yeah. there at the weekend, wow. which is the longest I've ever ran. Um, and yeah, it's been good. Like, exercise is, as you know, exercise like it changes your you'll be feeling so poorly, waking up feeling so rough and not, you know, no energy, no drive, um, low, and you go out and you do your an hour, 45 minutes of our, you know, intensive training session, and your day's changed, and that's, you know, sometimes you just need to kick up the butt to make sure you get out and do it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, like, how's that different? Because that's, like, the that's the longest you've ever ran, and it's completely different to your rugby days where you're getting smashed in the pitch, you're hitting the weights, like, I'm sure a lot of your niggles from rugby have kind of cleared up in the time since you've retired, but then now you're going for these, these 19 K runs, which are going to hit your body in a completely different way. Right. So how's that been? Um, torture. I was a torture. <laughs> um, do you know, my, uh, the long runs, like my joints and stuff are actually okay. They really are too bad. My back, maybe the day after sometimes, but I'm just exhausted the day after. And I yeah. come back and I go, right, I've just done that. I've done, you know, an hour, an hour, 45 minute run and I'm like right I need to recover and then I'll go to the cupboard and I'll go back to the cupboard and then I'll go back to the cupboard <laughs> and I'm like oh why did I go for a run um but yeah like it's I actually I went to the gym uh did, I've got some dumbbells and kettlebells so trying to do a wee bit of stuff here in the house and um maybe once a week I'm trying to keep on top of just for more for just my joints and stuff and honestly see doing weights now so sore like yeah. I'm just I, I forget the, the the dogs of weights. I'm like, oh my gosh, I so forget what that was like. And yeah, um, yeah and obviously, but one once this half marathon's over, I'm gonna go back and start doing a bit more weights because I know I think it's something that you gotta personally like because I did it for so long, you know, two or three times a week for 14 years. It would be mad to not you know, continue it a bit for injury prevention more than anything. But this having a challenge and having a target and and being held accountable, like I have a WhatsApp group, we're doing it for charity. Um, for chest, heart, and stroke. Uh, there's a group of us, 30 of us, um, from a local rugby team, and to be held accountable, yeah. to know that you're you were all doing this together, and the, you know you're you're sending pictures of your runs, your Strava, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it keeps you motivated. So I think that that's been good. It's been really good, and I will try continue it for longer term. And whether that's maybe going using the bike, maybe next away from the running, but um, yeah, no, I am enjoying it. How much is that competitive side kicked in from the rugby days with now being in that group and being like, well, I'm not going to be the, the slowest around this fucking race? So on the 12th of April here, I'm pretty sure you're allowed to train with 15 people, but at the moment you're only allowed to train. You're allowed to run, I think, with one other person or two other people. Okay, so yeah. we we um there was four of us that we did a two and a two 
you know, social distance, kept our distance, yep. but we all kind of, we were trying to set the pace roughly the same. But these guys are all like six years younger, five, six years younger than me. So I was like, <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll give it a go. So we started this as last Saturday. And for the first 12 kilometers, like I felt great. Like we were running fast, like five, um, five uh, minutes a kilometer, you know, so we're doing okay. Like we're decent pace. Yep. And then got 12K. I'm like, I think I can keep this going. This is brilliant. And like five minutes later, I was in a world of pain. And then awesome. I was like, you just go. So all of a sudden they just, you know, take it off. And I'm still, it was torture. And actually it was the one sunny day of the year. It was so hot. And I was desperate to try to keep up with them, but I, I just couldn't. I was like, <laughs> trying. But I knew, you know, I'd give it everything I could. But I, got, yeah. I think um, I, I do miss the competitive side of rugby. Without a doubt, again, training sessions, like I always enjoyed when there was a competitive element in it. And um, now the now the competition is just my is, is being able to look at your watch and know right okay hold on here, it's you need to pick it up a bit you need to yeah, yeah. You know, keep taking over and, and that well, I'll always my problem is try is in starting these runs I need to start slower yeah everyone I pace know that's everyone says pace up pace up but it's so hard I, I just want to get out there and, and get it done so a bit more learning in that for me. Yeah, well, I'm sure it'll come, and best of luck whenever it does happen in the four weeks. So, but what's what what's next for Chris then? Right, presuming you've got a bit of a roadmap for what you can do on certain dates coming out of this. So hopefully, in the next month or six weeks, normality will resume for everyone in the north of Ireland and the rest of the UK and the south of Ireland for um, for you guys because you deserve it. You've been in it for a year, but what do you see as the sort of when will things be truly back to normal for you? And then what do you have as your big goals, whether it's family-wise, business-wise, you know, fitness-wise? What, what what do you see as making 2021 a success for you then coming out of this? Well, my wife will be off maternity. So I think that's something where, um, you know, I, I've, I, I'm now in my second career and my first career was, you know, loved it. This, this job I find my way into, really enjoying it. Feel like i'm making a difference so for me to be honest if there's one thing i can do by the end of this calendar year is to to help support my wife get back to doing which something that she wants to do because yeah. we've had two two kids in very young succession and it does i feel like i think that's one positive thing that coming out of this whole global pandemic is that maybe the the social um structures of you know mothers usually are staying home looking after children and the men or you know you get your two weeks paternity and then you go back to work and looking back i go it's just madness like two weeks for a paternity that's you know, kids are demanding like i, I always yeah. laugh and say it's a lot of my friends I go but, you know i look back at some of my toughest pre-seasons nothing compared to having a newborn <laughs> nothing compared to having a newborn. You're, you're in the trenches and you have no sleep and you're you know trying to you know keep you keep your sanity and you're looking after kids so i think that's one thing i think would be great if i can help if my wife wants to go back to work or do something um, that, that she'll enjoy. So that's priority number one. Um, you're asking when when I think life will get back to normal here or you know, what what is the signal for me that life's get back to normal? There has been some, as I said, there has been good, some good things around mm-hmm. us. It's made us appreciate the people that we really care about, that you want to spend time with. So I think that is something where I just can't wait to be able to have you know your few closest friends around your house for a barbecue, but not be terrified that they can't come in and use your bathroom, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we've got the, you know, being able to go on a small trip, a small holiday, like that to me is just going to be, to be yeah. somewhere different than walking to the same coffee yeah, shop yeah. and the same park. 
it's just something different, isn't it? Just out of the yeah. normal. Um, and, and expectations are low now, I think, here. You know, if we're able to have, if beer gardens are able to open the summer and you're able to have a few beers and a bit of food somewhere, that's a start, you know. And who knows where we're going to be? And obviously, Europe, there's talk of third waves and the vaccinations, and Northern Ireland is doing really, really well with that whole vaccination, but we don't really know where we're going to be yet. So, man, it's about. Uh, it's about survival. So making sure your family are happy, your kids are growing, your kids are healthy. Um, and because professionally for me, I, I'm st- I still I know I have a lot to learn in this industry. So I, um, I'm glad that you blessed that I've been given the, the opportunity. So I think um, I spent 15 years living a high pressure, intense career with rugby, and this is definitely pressure. But you know, it's not as it's not like I'm going out and if I drop a ball, we lose a European Cup or a quarterfinal yeah. World Cup. So it's slight. It is different in that regards. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think if you ask me what my goals are, that I'm, I'm sorry, and I'm, I'm, I'm keeping up with the training. I do think yeah. that that has played. Like the lockdown was a, re- a great excuse for me to just do very little training, <laughs> go out and, and use and use comfort food. And I always I've always used food for a comfort me- comfort mechanism. Um, yeah. and it's you know and it's frustrating because I know that I do it and yet it's so hard to break the cycle and uh-huh. yet once you break the cycle it's it, you know you can I can stick to it um, yeah so yeah so, so so making sure my clothes still fit because I, I was either gonna <laughs> I said to my wife I said, I'm either gonna have to train and lose weight or I'm gonna buy a whole new wardrobe and I don't want to have to buy a whole new wardrobe of clothes <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, we'll be keeping, hopefully in the next year, mate, we'll be able to fly back home and see our family and we'll be able to catch up for a beer and I'll be keeping an eye on I'll be like, Chris, how's those suits fitting you now? Are you still able to get into them? 100%. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can keep me accountable now. But, That's it. Oh, man, it's crazy. Well, mate, I'm not going to take too much more of your time because we've been on about an hour here now and I know you've got the little ones are probably napping and you've got uh, daddy duties to get back to plus probably some work stuff. So I just want to say thanks for the time, mate. Um, Really good. I think there's tons of value in here. And I just want to encourage anyone who's listening, if you've enjoyed this, click the five-star review because that's going to mean that the more good reviews, the more we can get on quality guests like Chris and other people who will, who might take the reviews of a little, little unknown podcast into account. Um, so if you enjoyed it, please hit the five stars, tag me, tag Chris. Chris, just shout out your username on Instagram if people have enjoyed this and they want to follow you. Yeah, it's uh, Chris Henry 2000. There we go. And he's got the blue tick, so you'll know it's him because uh, being a celebrity and all that, he's got the, the verification. <laughs> awesome, guys. Chris, thank you for coming on, mate. I really appreciate your time, and I will speak to you soon, mate. My pleasure, and Thanks for having me on, mate. See you soon. Thanks for listening to The O Show with your host, Oren McCory. If you liked this episode, then please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and share this on your social media. We'll see you on the next episode for more no-nonsense advice to help you supercharge your efforts in the gym, in the kitchen, and most importantly, in your head. See you then.